We're talking about patience this morning, and the text I want to read is Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 25. I appreciate the Word of God. Am I a little boomy here? I feel like I've just taken a shot of testosterone. Oh! Verse 25. There's some profound wisdom in this text. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Or the Greek can be, can read, go ahead and be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Look at that. Associating going to bed with anger with giving the devil a foothold in your life. Go down to verse 29. Or verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. Look at that. Now, grieving the Holy Spirit or not grieving the Holy Spirit and getting rid of bitterness are connected. And it's connected with speaking the truth. And it's connected with not going to sleep when you have anger. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage. Get rid of anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Getting rid of all those things is connected with speaking the truth, connected with not going to bed when you're angry, connected with forgiving one another, connected with not grieving the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, make your word come alive this morning. We don't want to just be hearers of the word, Lord. We want it to impact us so that we may be doers of the word. We don't want to just learn about patience, Lord. We want to become patient as we want to become more loving and more kind and more gracious and more joyful. But we need your Spirit, Lord, to transform us, Lord. We don't want this to be a gathering, a, a social meeting, Lord. The presence that was here during worship, I pray, would continue as I bring forth the Word. Let it be, Lord, a supernatural event, we pray in your name. Amen. The word patience in Greek. I, I, I don't normally like to get too much into Greek. Uh, I find that when you start getting into Greek... People kind of start getting out of Greek. They just sort of tune out. Uh, it's all Greek to me, and, and so they. So I don't like to when I'm when I'm uh, preaching to you know bring in the original Greek word. It, it comes across like you're trying to be erudite, you know, scholarly, pedantic, intellectual. In the original Greek, you say. But in this case, with regard to this subject, getting into the original Greek is going to be very important, as I think you're going to see. And be, before you leave here this morning, you will know four Greek words. The first Greek word you're going to know is... I'm, I'm going to test you after. I'm going to get there and I'm going to test you. I'm a, I'm a professor, you know. So you're going to... It's macrothumia. It literally means slow to explode. Slow to rage. Okay, that's the word patience. Now, there's three words that in Greek mean anger. They're translated anger. And I want to talk about each of those three words. And it's going to be important that you, that you, you, you follow me on this. So don't let the Greek put you off. The first word for anger is orge. first word for anger is orge. This is the word that's usually translated anger. It's the word in verse 25 that's used when Paul says, Go ahead and be angry, but don't sin. Go ahead and have orge, but don't sin. Orge is not sin. Being angry, in the sense that denoted with orge, is not sin. It's never denoted to be sin in the Bible. Orge anger occurs when something that is valuable to you 
is taken away or something that's valuable to you is threatened or something that's valuable to you is slandered or violated. And that's a natural reaction. It's like moving your hand away when you touch a hot stove. It's like breathing when when you're running low on oxygen. It's like sleeping when you're tired or going to the bathroom when you have to go to the bathroom or sneezing when you've got to sneeze. It's a natural part of life and the Bible never calls it sin. Jesus, we know from Scripture, was perfect. He was sinless. And yet Jesus got angry. There were times when He got ticked off. Because there were times when things that He regarded to be valuable were threatened or being taken away or were being violated. For example, when He went into the temple. Remember that event? He went into the temple and there's all these money changers and all these capitalists that are being there and they're turning the house of God into sort of a, a, a circus and making a lot of money off of it. And He got really mad. The Bible says he went out and made, made a whip of some twines. And he went in there, cowboy Jesus, and started whipping the people out of there. And he must have been so angry that the crowd dispersed. I mean, this was a guy on a rampage. That kind of anger is not sin. In fact, we need that kind of anger sometimes in our life. Sometimes I believe we need to be more angry. When you see things that are valuable, things that are precious, being violated, being stolen, being taken away... Anger is an appropriate and necessary and sometimes godly response. I think we need to be more angry at sin. One of the dangerous things in the church today is that the word sin is almost becoming non-existent. I don't know if you read Doonesbury this morning. Did anyone read the the comics of Doonesbury this morning? It's about these people going around shopping. They're they're shopping for a church and, and they ask the pastor what kind of... It's really funny, but it won't be funny the way I tell you, I can guarantee, because I can't get the punchline. But, but the idea is that they're shopping for a church, and the pastor says, well, we believe that we're a, we're a rescue house for sinners, or, or we're, we're uh, recovering sinners. A really good description of the church. And they're reading this brochure, the, the husband and wife here, and they say, oh, sin, isn't that kind of a negative thing? You know, we, we're into positive things, and we don't like that concept. Maybe we should shop around a little bit more. And the husband says, yeah, but honey, they do have racquetball. And she says, oh, yeah, but so does the Unitarian Church. Let's go on shopping. I was, I was impressed with Dewsbury insightfulness, and that's a true thing. We need to, I think it's appropriate, it's holy, it's godly to be angry at sin. When you see the undermining of values in our society, that's a damaging thing. Something valuable is being lost. The message that's coming through with our kids and the educational system and the way basic moral principles are, are being forgotten, that should make us angry. Sorry for the 20 and, uh, and younger crowd, but I think watching TV should make you angry. It's just sending a destructive message. When you, when you see the, the, the factors and the ideas that are tearing apart the family in America, it should make us angry. It's not a sin to be angry at things that are genuinely destroying value. One of the things that makes me livid, this is off the record, but one of the things that just makes me livid, I don't, it probably makes you livid too. I just get so angry. Ask my wife. When I, when I hear this coming over the, the, the TV, or, or I read about it, or I hear it on the radio, I just get like, I, I just, uh, I border on being ungodly. Border, mind you, but I, as a pastor, never crossed that border. I get livid. I, you hear about this about once a month. Some guy who's got a, a crime portfolio that's five pages long and has five times been convicted of criminal sexual assault against children, serves three years in a holiday in padded cell and gets let out on good behavior and within 24 hours does the same thing again. I really get angry. Do you know that 80% of all violent sexual assaults are by repeat offenders? That really ticks me off. That means it's preventable and we're not preventing it. Not so much as the people who do it. Mad dogs do so, things like that. 
But the judges and the court systems that let him out, I, the, 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 the parole boards that let him out. Mm. I want to grab one of these liberal, lenient, fishbag judges and say, what were you thinking when you let him out? Amen. And I don't think that's, I know it sounds redneck, you know, but I don't think it is redneck. I think it's justified. I'd probably ask you, would you let this person babysit your children? And if you wouldn't, don't you dare let them out on the streets with my kids. Amen. I know I'd get an amen out of you somewhere. We're going to make this an amening church. That kind of anger is not inappropriate. I think it's necessary. It's what moves us in the right direction. Keeps us from moving in the wrong direction. It's as natural as sneezing, as sleeping, as breathing. And even when things aren't so righteous and holy and about moral principles, anger is a natural thing. It's, it, it's not in and of itself sinless. When your neighbor's dog does the thing that we talked about in the rap last week, the, the doo-doo on your lawn, and you step in it, that's not a big righteous moral principle, but it would tick you off, and, and I don't think there's any spiritual points for pretending like you're not ticked off. Something's been violated, your foot. <laughs> or when you're carrying an unfair amount of work at work, or you're doing an unfair amount of work at home when, you, when there's injustice, it's not a big moral righteous principle, but it's natural to be angry. Whatever patience means, it doesn't mean getting rid of that, because that is like breathing, it's like sleeping, it's like sneezing, or going to the bathroom when you have to. It's a natural part of life. Orge is okay. But orge becomes sinful when something happens to it, namely, when you go to bed with it. When you digest it. And this brings you to the second word in Greek that's used for anger, and that is para-orge. When Paul says, have orge, but don't sin, then he specifies what he means. Don't let the sun go down on your... And now he uses another word for anger. You don't get it in the English, but it's in the Greek. Don't let the sun go down on your para-orge. Para-orge literally means anger beneath, anger down under, anger concealed. You see, what happens is this. Something happens that's valuable to you. Maybe a big thing. You have something that's valuable. Maybe a big thing. Maybe a little thing. But you have, you have an issue with it. You're angry because it's been violated. It's been threatened. It's been taken away. And you have anger there. But you zipper the mouth because you think that's what patience is all about. And you don't say anything and you swallow it and you go to bed with it. And maybe you go to bed with it about 14 years. And that anger now becomes a part of your whole system. It's anger down under. It's, it's, you begin to digest it. It becomes a part of your whole spiritual framework. It's like swallowing cyanide. It gets into your bloodstream and it begins to affect your mind. It begins to affect your heart. It begins to affect the way you view yourself. It begins to affect the way you view your kids and the way you view your husband and even the way you view God. It becomes a pollution in the system. It becomes non-compartmentalized. When you first have orgy, orgy is always about specific things. It's always about this or that or what he said or what she did or whatever. It's about particular things. But when you swallow it and go to bed with it, it now just begins, it becomes a generalized anger. And it begins to contaminate everything about you. It becomes bitterness. And it is like a cancer in the soul. It becomes detached from what the orge was really about. It becomes detached from that. And it's no longer about this person or that thing or this valuable thing that was taken or your car being broken into. It's no longer about that. It's about you and it's about the world and it's about everything because it's polluting your entire system. Anger gone down under. 
And Paul says, and I couldn't say it any stronger than how Paul says it, that that is a demonic stronghold. Don't let the sun go down on your peraorge, because in doing that, you give the devil a foothold. Wherever there is untruth, wherever there is concealment, wherever there is things camouflaged, wherever things are underneath the surface, you'll find a demonic stronghold, and that's why he's called the Prince of Darkness. You swallow your anger and it becomes dark anger. And that gives the enemy a foothold because that can, he can use that like a worm in your soul eating you away and to begin to bring about destruction in your life. In the end, it manifests itself some way or other. Instead of being about the issue, instead of being healthy orgay that you have, you swallow it and it begins to pollute and begins to stench up your life in other ways. For some people, it stenches up their life in a form of sort of self-hatred. The anger is no longer about mom or dad or, or whatever particular issue they had. It becomes directed towards themselves. And they just have a kind of loathing for themselves. Other people experience this para-orgue as a kind of depression, a melancholy about life that they can't get rid of. Some people manifest para-orgue as, as a phobia, as a fear, fear of people leaving because they, they really believe that if people really saw the inside of them, they'd want to leave. So they're always afraid of people leaving, so they have to manipulate people. Other people... Have, have developed sort of different compulsive behaviors that, uh, that uh, manifest this, this internalized anger. Compulsive about eating or compulsive about not eating. And you think it's about the food. You think it's about your eating habits, but it's not about that at all. It's about the pollution in your soul. For some people, para-orge means no one can get on the inside. There's no intimacy. They have, they have an inability uh, to let people on the inside because they know it's polluted. They don't even let themselves on the inside. They never let God on the inside. They keep people at bay. You know people like that. Maybe you are a person like that. Keep people at bay. Keep them distant. For other people, it's a lack of boundaries. Everyone gets on the inside. It can manifest itself in a hundred different ways. An inability to enjoy other people's success. Some people get angry when, any, when anyone has success. The fear attaches to the weirdest things. But in the end, it's always destructive. It's always something demonic. It always undermines our, the, the kind of joy and peace and love and patience that the Lord would have us walk in. And one of the ways it's sure to come out, and this brings me to the third Greek word that Paul uses, that the Bible uses for, for anger, is it comes out as an explosion. It, it simmers here and there. It escapes here and there in, in various things in our life. But there are times where it just builds up and builds up and the volcano finally erupts. The steam kettle starts to boil over. It's like carrying a bunch of books or a bunch of weights. And, and, and you keep swallowing the anger and it gets heavier and heavier. People putting more and more books on top of, on top of you and you carry it and carry it to finally, boosh, it just breaks and they fall all over the place. And that's what the Bible calls thumos. We get the word thermonuclear from it. Which tells you something. It means hot. Hot. Rage. Explosive rage. This is the kind of thing where you know how it is. You go along for a long time and you're just kind of used to, most of us are used to just swallowing some anger, internalizing, not dealing with it when it occurs, but going to bed with it. And it builds up and builds up and then you come home and for the fourth billion time your, 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 your little girl leaves her bike in the driveway. And you gotta, before you pull up, you gotta get out and, and put that bike on the, on the grass and it gets heavier every day. And you tell her and tell her not to do that, but she keeps on forgetting. And so you drive up, and there it is, right in the driveway. But this time, it's a little different. Something snaps. Zing! 
and you say things, it, 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 the, the, the volcano, you say things and you do things you wish you would never say, you wish you'd never do. You, you, you say words that are unretractable. And the little kids, you can give them all the explanation in the world for all the stress you have on the job, but the words stick. You just wish you could take them back, or you wish you could take this deed back. You didn't mean to break the bike. These are the times when dishes get thrown. These are the times when we become poetic with swear words. These are the times when we go ballistic. It happens. When the Bible talks about patience, that's the kind of anger it's talking about. Macrothumia. Slow to thumos. Slow to thumos. Slow to explode. Patience doesn't mean slow to have orge. The Bible never tells you to not have orge. It does tell you, be slow to explode. You see, like with love, joy, and peace that we've already talked about in this series, the Bible's not talking about an external kind of behavior. It's not talking about an ability to, to bite your tongue real good, an ability to just bite your lip, an ability just to hold it back. It's not talking about that as though you could define patience externally. What the Bible talks about when it's referring to the patience that is the fruit of the Spirit, just as when it talks about love, joy, and peace that's the fruit of the Spirit, it's not talking about an external behavior at all. It's talking about an internal reality. To be slow to anger is to live free from that kind of pollution, free from that poison in your life, free from the kind of junk that causes you to erupt. Because the only way to ever be slow to have thumos is to, be, is to get rid of the paragismos in your life, to get rid of the, the, the anger down under. The fruit of the Spirit causes us, leads us, prompts us to live in such a way that we don't have that kind of bitterness and anger there, that we don't go to bed with it. The question is, how, how do we become like that? How do we become patient like that? And to ask that question, to ask, how do we become patient? How do we become slow to thumos? Is to ask, how do we live free from paragismos? <laughs> if someone walked in the last three minutes, they're going to think I'm speaking in tongues or something. <laughs> oh, I see this is a Pentecostal church, paragismos. <laughs> how do you live free like that? Let me give a general answer and then we're going to specify it. The general answer of how to live free from Paragismos is this. And Paul deals with it in verse 30. When he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5.18, which is sort of the foundational text for this whole series, where Paul is talking about the fruit of the Spirit, he says the way to have the fruit of the Spirit is to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. And that's essentially what he's saying here. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't kick against the Holy Spirit. Don't trample the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Holy Spirit in your life. In fact, it is only by way of the Holy Spirit operating in our life that any of us have any hopes of acquiring the fruit of the Spirit because it's the fruit of the Spirit, not our own effort. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not our own achievement. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not on the basis of how hard we're able to work at it. And if it wasn't for the Spirit of God in our life, the influence of the world, the pollution of this world would contaminate our minds and our hearts to such a degree that we never, in and of ourselves, be able to acquire these kind of characteristics. But what we need to know is this, and if you get a hold of this and begin to walk in it, it's going to make a world of difference in your life. You need to know this, that if you're a believer this morning, if you're a believer, you have within you... Uh, get this. You have within you... The infinite power of God, called the Holy Spirit, in your life. You have within you a reservoir 
a reservoir of God's stuff within you. An infinite reservoir of God's love. An infinite reservoir of God's joy. An infinite reservoir of God's peace. And yes, an infinite reservoir of God's patience within you. And the only part that we have in this, and this is a significant part though, is not trying to have that on our own, but yielding to the presence of God who is already there within us. Yielding to the power and the influence and the promptings of God that is there within us. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Stop suppressing the Holy Spirit. Allow God to begin to live through you. And when we begin to learn how to walk supernaturally, walk yielding to the presence and power of God in your life that is there only because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a promise of God. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. As you begin to walk in that way and yield to the presence of God there, these characteristics begin to come about. They're a fruit of the Spirit. They are the natural byproduct of what happens when Christians walk yielded to God within them. It's a natural fruit. It's a natural outworking. The cause is the Spirit. The effect is the fruit of the Spirit. It can't help but happen if only we yield. That's the general answer. Now let me just say three things about what that looks like. Three things that the Holy Spirit is. And when you yield to the Holy Spirit, this comes about. I can deal with these very briefly. The first one is that the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. The word truth in Greek, as I've said a number of times, means openness. It means openness, honesty. Where what the Spirit of God is continually prompting us towards is to live in truth, to live in honesty. And if you want to develop patience, learn to yield to the Spirit of truth prompting you to honesty in your life. And this is why Paul prefaces this entire paragraph in verse 25 by saying, Put off all falsehood and speak the truth, the aletheia. Speak the openness, speak the honesty to one another in love. You want the fruit of patience in your life? Learn to follow the promptings of the Spirit so you speak what is true, you speak what is real, you speak what is honest when it occurs. And what that means for us is this. If you want to live free from para-orge, anger down other, uh, under, learn to deal with anger when it occurs and as it's occurring. Now, in fact, when Paul says don't let the sun go down on your para-orge, it implies that anger is already becoming anger down other as the sun's going down, if you've held it that long, it's too long. If you want to live free from that pollution in your life, learn to deal with anger as it occurs. One of the things we as parents need to do, while we need to teach respect in our children and need to uh, discipline them and install in them uh, an honor for their parents and get rid of all sassing back, while we need to do that, at the same time, we need to send the message that it's okay to be angry. You can be angry at me. It's okay to have... Now, what you do with it and what you say with it maybe is the wrong thing, but make sure you punish the right thing. Don't punish the anger. Because that's going to teach the kid how to stuff, how to have paraorgismos. And when the kid turns 14, you got thumos. <laughs> with our spouses as well. With our friends as well. To be okay giving enough space. Giving enough space so that people can be angry when in fact they're anger. Usually the reason that we're not okay with anger, being anger, is that we have an idol that we want to protect. So if I've got an idol, a, a false god of fatherhood, that I've got to be a, a, a hello, a, I've got to be a perfect father, then when I hear anger about my fathering, I've got to protect it. And so I shut it down. I, I send the kid to bed with it. Don't you ever say that to me. Don't you raise your voice to me. You've got no right to be angry. You shouldn't be angry. 
And if I teach the kid how they shouldn't be angry, I call it patience. But that's the opposite of patience, you see, because that's causing the very thing that produces thumos, which is what real, genuine, biblical patience is about. Or if you've got an idol of being a perfect husband or an idol of being a perfect wife or an idol of being a perfect family, then anger is going to threaten that. And you're going to have to shut it down. If we get our life from Christ and our value from Christ, then that means that we're not going to have little idols out here that are valuable to us that we need to protect by shutting other people's anger down and shutting our own anger down. Orge is itself not sin. In fact, it's healthy. You need to have it. And we must live in such a way that we don't cause ourselves and others to live in para-orge. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is perpetually prompting us to speak the truth. The second thing the Holy Spirit is, is the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's called that in the Bible. And what that means for us is that He's the Spirit of forgiveness. Paul connects truth with living in patience. Paul also connects forgiveness with living in patience. Verse 32, he says it. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. The Spirit of God is forever prompting us to forgive. One of the best things you can do in prayer is to say this. Spirit of truth, reveal the truth of my heart. I've swallowed so much anger that I don't even know where it's connected anymore. The wiring got all scrambled. The telephone connections got all mixed up. And I don't even know what it's about anymore. But Lord, reveal to me why I am this way, why I have this compulsiveness, or why I have this bitterness, or why I have this cynicism. Show me the uncleanness of my heart. The psalmist prays, Search my heart, O God. Search my heart, O God. And allow the, allow the Holy Spirit to show you what is there and who you are and what you are angry about. And then allow the Holy Spirit to move you in the direction of forgiveness. The delusion, and this is a demonic delusion, the, the delusion of the flesh, of our carnal self, is that we think that in being angry, we're actually more empowered. When you're angry at someone, check it out. Don't you feel more empowered? I'll get them. I'll be angry at them. We, we, it, it has this false sense of strength that it gives us. Or it kind of gives you a sense of moral superiority. If you're angry at someone, you feel morally superior to them. And, and the, car, the, the carnal self feeds into that. But the reality of the situation is that there's nothing more disempowering than anger and bitterness, than paragismos. Because to live in unforgiveness, to live with bitterness, to live with strife towards someone, and maybe on a human level understandable, but what it's doing is it's making you a slave to them. They're the ones who hold the power over you. When we live, as we said a couple weeks ago, when we live in a victim mentality, in a blaming mode, in a bitter mode, we're the ones who become the slaves. We're wrapped up in chains. And the flesh keeps on saying, oh, you're empowered, you're empowered, you're really showing them, but you're the one who's paying the price for the whole thing. The, the essence of freedom in our life is forgiveness. If you want patience in your life, an ability to deal with things and not explode, follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit, which leads you to forgiveness. To release mom, release dad, release ex-husband, release ex-wife, or release present husband, or release present wife, or release kids, or release friends, or whatever it is that you're enslaved to because you don't forgive them. Ask the Lord to show you that and lead you towards forgiveness. And the final thing that the Holy Spirit is, is He's the witness to Christ. The chief business of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, 
The chief business of the Holy Spirit is to point us in the direction of Jesus Christ. Wait, wait, could someone open up the curtains? Because I want to show something. Not yet, not, not yet. But I want to show something on, on the overhead here in a second. Um, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, when He comes to you, He won't point to Himself. He'll point to Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit, Paul says, we are to forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us. And the way, the most, the most, I think, essential thing we can ever do to begin to evaporate that polluted water in our life called perigismos is to learn to look at the face of Jesus Christ. To learn to look at His love for us, to look at His patience towards us, and to look at how He has forgiven us. To come into the presence of Christ, to gaze upon Him in times of personal devotion, to gaze upon Him and to see His intense, passionate love in the midst of all of your paragismos and in the midst of all the other junk in your life, He loves you, He's passionate towards you, and that's the very thing that's going to begin to dry up that junk in your life. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that as we behold the glory of the Lord, we're transformed into His glory. And the key to change, the key to bringing about the attributes of God in our life, as we've said before, is not in our trying to produce it on our own. It's seeing those attributes in Jesus. And as you see His patience towards you, you begin to become patient. And the anger begins to dissipate. The most important devotional thing I think we can do as Christians is to spend time where we gaze upon the Lord and let Him be who He is, as we are just who we are. We're not trying to be anything different. Just let Him love us as we are. Let me close by telling you just this one story of a, of a student I knew. I'll call her Gloria. And Gloria had this, this problem. She was, uh, uh, by all appearances, a upstanding Christian, uh, walked the walk, talked the talk, had it all down pat, really straight-laced Christian person. She was an RA uh, of a Bethel dormitory. But she had a problem. It was unpredictable. But when certain things would happen, there would be thumos in her life. And a window would get broken. Uh, several times, telephones got ripped out of the wall. Uh, things would be damaged and then she'd have to think really fast to come up with an explanation to all of her godly friends as to how these things got broken so she'd have to compound her thumos with a lie. She couldn't control that. And I began to talk with her about this sort of thing. She was in a class of mine. And she had gone to uh, different pastors and, and, and her parents about this rage problem she had. And, and the essence of what she got is that she ought to be patient. And patient meant don't have orgate. You shouldn't have this. You better not have this. It's not godly to have this. How can you call yourself a Christian and have this? Which just means that you send it further down under. If you get to know Gloria a little bit more, you find out a little history here. And you find out that there's a whole bunch of paragismos in her life. And the thumos was the result of the paragismos being there. She had a father that was quite legalistic and very distant emotionally. That itself causes anger. But she was never allowed in a Christian family, in a godly family, to have anger was just the epitome of sin. So every time she got angry about something like, Dad, why don't you spend a little more time at home? She couldn't say it. So she went to bed with it and it begins to pollute her system. A lot of pollution there. Also at the age of 13, she was raped by her cousin. And... Uh, she was so ashamed she didn't want to say anything. The cousin said, if you tell anyone, I'll say it's your fault. So she, she kept that on the inside too. But she tried to send out messages by eat, having eating disorders, through depression. Her body was sending out messages, but in a family that has to be perfect, imperfections aren't allowed, so you don't notice stuff like that. You're trained not to notice stuff like that, so her screams weren't heard, which caused there to be more paragismos and more destruction. And I began to talk with her about how to get rid of this. 
she kept a journal. She kept a journal where she didn't write words, but she, she drew pictures. And not that she was an artist or anything, but she drew pictures. And I, and I thought it might be just good to show these to you. Yeah, a picture's worth a thousand words. Can you put on the first picture? This is a picture she drew of herself when she was 17. She felt chained by the bitterness in her life, the unforgiveness in her life, the pain in her life. You can just see the pain there. Trying to break free from this, but not being able to. It's not, a, it's not about effort. It's about something much larger than herself. She's feeling enraged and she's feeling chained up. I'll put on this, this second picture. Another picture she drew shows her aloneness. Screaming off for help. But she's living in a very dark world. And when you're imperfect in a world that you think has to be perfect, it's a very, very dark world. There's no one to talk to and no one hears your screams. And so you can see the rage that is there, the pain that is there, the paragismos that is there. And here it's being expressed as a thumos. And I talked to Gloria about looking at Jesus. I'm not a counselor. She needed counseling and she finally got counseling. The goal of a good counselor, and I thank God that we're developing this ministry here, is to help you locate truth in your life. So you begin to work through the paragismos that's there. But I, but I, in my little capacity, just begin to point her to Jesus. And begin to say, can you see when you pray? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you when you pray the love of Jesus for you. Can you begin to see His love in your eyes, can, in His eyes? Can you picture Him embracing you in the midst of your scream? Can you picture that? And for a long time she couldn't. Because you see, paragismos affects even our view of God. It was too polluted. But eventually the Holy Spirit began to work through there. Begin to work through the clouds of pollution in her life to show her the real Jesus. And when she began to see the real Jesus, she began to be transformed. She came in one morning. And I had never seen her smile up to this morning. She came in and all she said was, I got it. I got it. And she showed me this picture. Put on the next picture. Where she could finally see the beauty of Jesus. The love of Jesus. And she spent time in the midst of her rage, not trying to get rid of it, but in the midst of her imperfection, in the midst of the pollution, spent time seeing Jesus' patience with her, seeing Jesus' love towards her, seeing Jesus' joy over her, and that begins to automatically produce love and joy and peace and patience in her life. Show the, 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 next, the, the final picture. You have a real, different, a real different glory here. Not that there isn't still a whole lot of things for her to work through, but she's going on the right track. This morning, I don't know what you're carrying around with you. Maybe it's a lot of paragismos. Maybe there's been a lot of sunsets on the anger in your life. And you can bite your lip and swallow your tongue and put a handkerchief in your mouth to try to keep the thumos in control. But that's not really the real issue. The real issue is, do you have the pollution in your life that's causing you to be that way? And God... The Holy Spirit wants to move you in the direction of being freed from that. This morning, as we close, I want to invite you to come forward if you want to pray with somebody. Uh, whether it's about this issue or a different issue, I want to invite you forward to be ministered to by the Holy Spirit. Let's stand. Could we sing? Could I, could I get uh, Jeremy or Stephanie or both to come forward? I'd like to sing that chorus. Yeah, Jeremy, could you come up? that chorus that we sang earlier and in fact as we're singing it I want to invite you to, whoever would like to spend some time in prayer here for whatever reasons to just come forward and make this our altar uh, if you have to go home right away that's understandable 
But I, I, I feel moved to just give this invitation, to turn this into an altar up here, and to worship the Lord, and to let the Lord begin to clean up the inside by His love and by His grace. Spend some time looking at the Lord. And as we're even singing this, if you feel led, I invite you to come forward here. Can we sing, When I Look Into Your Holiness? Try to see the face of the Lord as we sing this, as Gloria did. See His eyes. Feel His arms around you. Hear Him saying words to you that no one's ever said to you. <laughs> 